You know, the Bible divides our sins into two broad categories. Category number one are the sins that are obvious that everybody can see. Lying, cheating, stealing, foul language, adultery. But then there's another category of sins that the Bible talks about. These are the secret sins of our heart. These are the sins that hide in the deepest recesses of our heart, but sins that actually pollute us far worse than the sins that people can see. And as we continue today in our series entitled From My Heart to Yours, I want us to talk today about one of these secret sins of the heart, namely judging other people. So, we ready? Okay. Our passage is John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. This is the story of the woman taken in adultery. And before we dig into the passage, I do need to say one thing, and that is there are some scholars who question the authenticity of John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. The reason they do this is because two of our oldest copies of the New Testament from the 4th century A.D. omit this passage. However, I am totally convinced that these scholars are wrong for two reasons. Number one, because the overwhelming majority, overwhelming majority of ancient New Testament manuscripts do include John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, And reason number two is that we have writings from the early church fathers, which simply means church leaders, writings from before the fourth century A.D. When, you know, these manuscripts I told you which leaves it out come from the fourth century? Well, these writings are from before that. In fact, the earliest one is from Papias all the way back at 125 A.D., And in these writings, these church fathers quote from John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11, making it patently clear that the copies of the New Testament they were using had John 8, or verses 1 to 11, in those copies of the Bible. Y'all with me? Everybody understand what I'm saying? Say yes. yes. Okay, good. So, in summary... I cannot tell you why a few manuscripts of the New Testament leave out John chapter 8, verses 1 to 11. I don't know, but what I can assure you is that these verses, John 8, 1 to 11, belong in every copy of the New Testament. All right? You with me? All right, now let's look at them. Verse 1. Then Jesus went to the Mount of Olives... And early the next morning, Jesus came back into the temple courts, and all the people gathered around him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, the rabbis, brought to him a woman taken in adultery. And they said, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now we need to stop here, and we need to ask three questions. Number one, how did these rabbis catch this woman in the very act of adultery? Number two, 
where did the man go who had been with her? And number three, unless they just caught her ten minutes before, which they had not, where had this woman been all night? Now, are you ready to answer these questions? Okay. Number one, how in the world did the rabbis catch this woman in the very act of adultery? Well, obviously, they set her up. Number two, where did the man go? Well, obviously, they let him, they let him go. And number three, where had this woman been all night? Well, obviously, they had kept this woman in custody all night so that they could bring her before Jesus when he returned to the temple in the morning. Now you say, well, why would they do all of this? Well, look, verse 5, and the rabbi said to Jesus, hey, Jesus, in the Old Testament law, Moses commanded us to stone, that is, to death, such women. But, Jesus, what do you say we should do? And the Bible tells us that the rabbis, verse 6, were using this question as a trap in order that they might have grounds to accuse Jesus. You say, accuse him how? Well, think for a moment. If Jesus said, no, don't stone her to death, then the rabbis would accuse Jesus of breaking the Old Testament law, and therefore, he couldn't be the Messiah. On the other hand, if Jesus had said, yes, stone her to death, the rabbis could have accused Jesus of treason against the Roman government, which had forbidden the Jewish rabbis from sentencing anybody to death. You remember when they brought Jesus before Pilate, and they said, Pilate, we're not allowed to crucify anybody. That's why we brought him to you. You remember that? Yeah. So the rabbis were convinced, no matter which way Jesus went on this, they had him. All right, now watch what happens. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not even hear them. You say, Lon, Lon, what did Jesus write on the ground? I've always wanted to know that. Friends, I don't have a clue. How am I supposed to know what he wrote on the ground when the Bible doesn't tell us? But listen, what, it does not matter what Jesus wrote on the ground. What matters is what he's about to say. So when the rabbis kept pressing Jesus for an answer, verse 7, he raised himself up and Jesus said, He who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Wow. And then he stooped down again and wrote on the ground. And those who heard it, what he said, being convicted by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last man. And Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. At the end I love what the great church father Augustine said. He said, and I quote, the only person left is the one who really was qualified to cast the first stone, the sinless son of God, end of quote. Now, verse 10, then Jesus raised himself up and he saw no one but the woman. And he said to her, woman, 
Where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one. What's the next word? Lord. Lord. Yes. Notice this woman called Jesus Lord. Notice that she now believed in him as her Messiah. I don't know when exactly that happened. It might have happened right at that moment. But she believed he was the Messiah. Then Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Why not? Well, because now she's a believer in Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ. He said, I don't condemn you either. But wait, he didn't stop there. He said, go and sin no more. The New American Standard translates this, go your way and from now on sin no more. The NIV says, go now and leave your life of sin. Now that's the end of our passage. And we're going to, in just a moment, ask our most important question of the day. But before we do that, there's something very important here I want you to see. And that is that Jesus did not condone this woman's sin. He forgave her sin. He showed mercy to her in her sin, but he did not condone her sin. There is a difference between condoning sin and forgiving sin. Jesus forgave her sin, and then based on that forgiveness and based on that mercy, he demanded that she repent. He demanded that she turn from her sinful lifestyle, and he demanded that she begin a new lifestyle of obedience to God. Do we all see that? And this is exactly what he does with you and me and every other follower of Christ. He says, I'll show mercy to you in your sin. I'll forgive your sin. But then we need to begin a new lifestyle together of obedience to God. This is why Peter says, 1 Peter chapter 1, as obedient children, as followers of Christ, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. That is before you came to Christ. But like the Holy One who called you, you also be holy in all your behavior. For it is written, Leviticus chapter 11, be ye holy for I am holy. Now, as believers in Christ, I believe we all need to hear this today. Yes, God gives us mercy, just like he did this woman for our sins. Yes, like he did this woman, he gives us forgiveness for our sins, but God does not give us free passes to sin. God expects, once we come to Christ, with the Holy Spirit's help, that we are going to strive for personal holiness every day, that we're going to fight for personal holiness every day. And if we fall short, he forgives us. And if we don't quite get up to to where we want to be, he shows mercy to us. But my friends, believe me, God is not giving us permission. He's not condoning us going out and living any way we want to live. 
please, I want to urge you, be very careful, my friends, not to presume on God's mercy or to regard God's forgiveness as license to sin. That is not what God did with this woman. That is not the balance of the Bible. And that is not what God tells you and me to do. And when we presume on God's mercy, you know, when we say, oh, well, it doesn't really matter how I live. God's going to forgive me anyway. My friends, that is a game you do not want to play with the holy God of the universe. Capiche? Capiche? All right. Now, it's time for us to ask our most important question of the day. And you know what it is, so are you ready? All right, everybody else has done good today. Y'all got to do better. Here we go. One, two, three. (laughs) Love you. Oh, that's beautiful. You say, Lon, so what? Didn't you just give us the message? No, that wasn't the message. That was just a bonus that I just gave you. No, no, no. The message is about judging other people. And you know, God really convicted me this week From Jesus' words, he who is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone. Because what Jesus is telling us is that we have no right to judge anybody else unless we ourselves are free of sin, which means we have no right to judge anybody else ever. Jesus said the same thing in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. He said, judge not, lest you be judged. And there's probably not a single verse in the entire Bible that has been misused, misquoted, and misunderstood more than this verse. So let me just say, there are four things here that Jesus is not talking about when he says, judge not, lest ye be judged. The first, Jesus is not talking about our passing judgment on other people's theology and theological teaching. The Bible commands us to do this. 1 John 4, verse 1 says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Judge them to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. When somebody is teaching truth, we are commanded by God to compare whatever they're saying to the Word of God and to judge whether it stacks up with the Word of God so that we don't follow error or theological heresy. That is not what Jesus is talking about here. The second thing he's not talking about when he says, judge not lest ye be judged, he's not talking about our legal system passing judgment on criminal behavior. Romans chapter 13 says that one of the primary duties of government is to judge criminal behavior. Number three, what is Jesus not talking about when he says, judge not lest you be judged? Well, if you're a child or a teenager here, Jesus is not talking about your parents confronting your wrong behavior. It's not what he's talking about. You know, I used to come home and I'd have a child waiting for me back in the room where he'd been waiting for me. His mom put him there. 
And uh, I would go back in the room and I would say, now we need to deal with this. And I remember one time one of my sons said, you know, the Bible says, judge not, lest ye be judged. And I said, son, I'm sorry, but you got the wrong verse. You got the emphasis on the wrong syllable there, my friend. That is not what that verse means. Don't try to pull that on me. I've been to seminary. Now, here we go. We're going to deal with this. Listen, when your parents are trying to confront your wrong behavior as a young person, that is their duty. That is their responsibility before God to raise you and discipline you. And they are not violating this verse when they do that. Number four, and finally, when Jesus says, judge not, lest ye be judged, he is not talking about your boss giving you a performance review. That is not what he's talking about. You know, you say, well, sit behind my desk, and then you tell me how it is. Don't you judge me. No, this is not what Jesus is talking about. You say, well, what's Jesus talking about? He's talking, my friends, about our propensity as followers of Christ to make personal judgments on other people's character, on other people's motives, on the intents of other people's hearts. And the Bible says only God is capable of doing this. 1 Samuel 16, 7 says man looks on the outward appearance. That's all we can see, but the Lord looks on the heart. And friends, your heart and my heart are so complex. I mean, sometimes we can't even figure out what our own motives are in things that we do. If you've only got the outward appearance of somebody else to work with, how in the world are you ever going to figure out what their heart is really all about? Hey, this is above our pay grade, friends, as the Bible is telling us. It is totally inappropriate for us to be doing this kind of judging of other people's motives, their intents, and their hearts. Now, not only is it inappropriate, but it's also dangerous for us to do this. You say, I don't understand. What do you mean? Well, let me read a little more in Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1, judge not lest you be judged. Watch. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. That is by God. And with the same measure you use to judge other people, it shall be measured back to you by God. Look, friends, what the Bible is saying here is if we use a gentle measuring cup, if we use a compassionate measuring cup, if we use an understanding measuring cup to measure out our judgments of other people, that's the same cup God will use to measure back to us. But if we use a harsh measuring cup, and a merciless measuring cup, that's exactly what God is going to use to measure back to us. Now, I don't know about you, I can't afford for God to use a harsh and merciless measuring cup with me. I can't afford that. Because I'm always going to God and saying, oh God, please, Lord, I beg you for mercy. I beg you for understanding. I beg you for leniency. I beg you to dust my trail. And the reason I'm always doing this is because I'm always doing so much stupid stuff, wrong stuff, crazy stuff, sinful stuff. And time after time after time, 
The Lord is compassionate with me. The Lord is merciful with me. But here in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus tells me, Hey, Lon, you better be kind in your judgments of other people, and you better be gentle in your judgments of other people, because if you don't, you can expect less gentleness, less kindness, less understanding coming back your way from me. Folks, I don't know about you, I can't afford that. And so therefore, if I want God to be merciful and gentle with me in his judgments, I better be that way with other people. You understand? Yeah. Now, can I make a confession before you here today? You say, oh yeah, we, Lon, we love confessions. Okay. All right. Well, good. I'm going to make one. This week on Monday, when I sat down to start working on this message, I thought to myself, you know, Lord, this is going to be a pretty easy week because there's really not much for you and me to talk about because I don't do this. I don't judge other people. I'm one of the best people I know at not judging other people. I really am. And maybe when you walked in here today and you saw the title of the message in the bulletin, you immediately said, oh, this is going to be a good day. I don't do this. I don't judge other people. Uh, yeah, well, as I was praying, though, this week and working on the message, the Lord said to me, Lon, are you serious? Are you serious? You are one of the worst offenders I know at this. And I, and I said, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. Here's me and God arguing, and I'm telling God, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. And the Lord said, yes, you are. Don't you understand? That every time you say a negative word about somebody else, every time you make a critical remark about somebody else, which, oh, by the way, you do a lot, don't you understand that you've already judged that person in your heart? Don't you understand when you say, well, they're only doing this to get the spotlight, Don't you understand that you've already made that judgment about them in your heart when you say, man, I can't believe how arrogant he is. Don't you understand you've already made that judgment against him in your heart when you say, oh, she's just out for herself and everything. Don't you understand you've already made that judgment about her in your heart for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And every time you do that, you're just telling me you've judged someone in your heart. Wow. So you know what? By the end of the week, I was having a terrible week. I'm thinking by the end of the week, I'm terrible about judging other people. And I guess I am. And you know what? I've heard a lot of stuff come out of y'all's mouths, and you're terrible too. You are. And I am. We're all bad at this. You say, all right, all right, Lon, so, so maybe I am. The question is, how do I get on top of it? How do I fix it? How do I get better at not doing this? Oh, ho, ho. man, I'm so glad you asked. Because I asked that same question this week and from the Lord, and I got an answer, which I'm going to share with you. Matthew chapter 7, verse 3. Jesus said, why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye. But do not consider the beam that is in your own eye. 
Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a beam in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, Jesus said, remove the beam from your own eye, and then you will see clearly enough to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Hey, you know what Jesus is saying here, folks? What he's saying is, if you want to be ruthless about sin, then be ruthless about your own sin. You want to be ruthless about sin? That's wonderful. Start with your own sin. And you know what I've discovered, folks? I've discovered that the harsher I get about judging my own sin, that the kinder I get about judging other people's sin. And you know why it is, and with this I'm done, it's very simple. It's because I figure if I'm trying as hard as I can to obey God, and this is the best I can do, oh man, I got no room for judging other people and how they're doing on this. You get me? The best I can do. And it ain't all that great. And if I'm trying as hard as I can, man, what right do I have to judge somebody else who's trying as hard as they can? Let's bow our heads together. And with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, what I'd like you to do is take just a moment and think of someone this week that you made a terrible judgment about in your mind. Or someone this week that you said something just horrible about. Or maybe it's a chronic situation. Maybe it's a father or a mother or a brother or a sister or an ex-spouse that you've been doing this chronically to. All right, you got them? Now, what I want you to do with that person in mind, or those people in mind, is I want you to pray out loud one phrase at a time with me. Here we go. Lord, oh, come on, come on, come on. Lord, I want to ask you to forgive me for the slanderous things I said this week about people and for the condemning things I thought about them about their character about their motives about their reputation God please forgive me let me pray for us now Lord Jesus, grip our hearts with the awareness, I pray, that this is so wrong for us to do to other people, that it's sinful and damaging and dangerous for us to turn this judgmental spirit of ours on the beams in our own lives, that we might have a much more tolerant spirit toward the specks in our brother's and our sister's eyes. 
Lord, change our behavior. Change what comes out of our mouth. And change how we think of other people. Because we were here today and we sat under the teaching of the eternal Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen.